One really good rule of thumb whenever you're praying with the Bible is to remember that it is indeed the Word of God, eternal, immutable, living and active, and everything that implies. And you see, once you realize that, it becomes easier to kind of look beyond the surface, to trust and believe that even though a particular reading might seem kind of simple and straightforward, again, on the surface, every single time there's a real depth and complexity to that particular reading, which kind of defines the outward appearance. Case in point, think about the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. It's a really famous story where various people, parents, perhaps extended family, are bringing their children to the Lord with the expectation that he'll touch them, bless them, whatever the case may be. In response to which the disciples are annoyed and they rebuke these people for trying to bring their children to the Lord Jesus Christ. Which begs the question, why? Well, I think two things are kind of going on here. So first of all, I think on a very natural level, the kids were probably being really annoying. So it's like the timeless quality of kids, right? They were annoying then, as sometimes they're kind of annoying right now, right? But I think the second thing that's going on here is that at the time of Christ, in that particular cultural setting, there was a massive cultural bias against children because they were considered to have no legal status. They weren't considered to be people. Now, on the face of it, that might sound kind of strange, but the idea was that personhood was tied explicitly to this notion of functionality. So the whole idea is that insofar as you're unable to contribute to society, again, you have no legal status, you have no personhood. And so when it came to children, like obviously, you know, from the perspective of society, they could make no meaningful contribution to matters of politics, economics, warfare, whatever the case may be. So given all that, they weren't considered to be little people, they were considered to be non-persons. And so at most, they were potential persons. Like one day, if you try hard, once you can make a meaningful contribution to society, you could become a person. But in the meantime, no legal status, no personhood, because you're considered to be, again, totally and completely useless. And you see, once you see this particular cultural context, it becomes a whole lot easier to understand how provocative it would have been for Christ the Lord to then say, let the little children come to me. And then on top of that, whoever does not receive the kingdom of heaven like these children will never actually enter into it. Thereby suggesting that an important prerequisite to becoming the person that God is calling you to be, and therefore gain entrance to the kingdom of heaven, is to become like these nothing little kids. Now, just to be clear, the Lord is not suggesting that we become childish, but rather that we become childlike, if that makes any sense. In other words, if you read between the lines, I don't think he's suggesting that we begin to abdicate our adult responsibilities or begin our descent into immaturity. But instead, what he's saying is that there is a natural virtue, a natural virtue inherent in all children that we're all called to incorporate within our very being. And this virtue can be named in all sorts of different ways, you know, like innocence, openness, docility, humility, or perhaps we might even say a complete availability to God's particular purposes for our lives. To illustrate the point, think about the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, right, where the Lord gives a very famous Sermon on the Mount. So you picture the scene, right? The Lord is on this mountaintop and he's preaching to the people about various topics and subjects. And included in the Sermon on the Mount is a really extended discussion on this thing called the Beatitudes. So you recall that, right? The Lord says, blessed are people who do this, blessed are people who do that. And of all the Beatitudes, the one which is most relevant for our purposes today basically goes like this. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And so again, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Now, I think for a lot of people, when I think about the notion of purity in the context of this particular beatitude, again, in the sense of blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God, they tend to think exclusively of sexual purity. And it's not to say that's completely off point, but you got to appreciate that the Lord is demanding much more of us. He's demanding purity of mind, purity of body, purity of spirit, purity of soul, purity with regards to the entire person. 
Because, of course, in the biblical imagination, that's what the heart represents. It represents the entirety of the human person. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. So given all that, perhaps you might say that the Beatitude is basically saying to us, blessed are those who are not weighed down by this world, who are not weighed down by the affairs of this world, such that they are completely available again to God's particular purposes for their lives. These are the people who are able to perceive God's will and therefore have a fighting chance of actually doing it. So again, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. One final example, and I'll kind of end with this. So I remember back in the day talking to a priest friend of mine about difficult people at the parish. So at the time, we were kind of stationed at the same parish, and I was talking about people that I had personally found to be kind of obstinate and difficult and stubborn. And the whole point of the exercise, from my perspective anyways, was not so much to simply rip people behind their backs, but rather to kind of ask the question, what should we do or what can we do? to bring these people to a stance of conversion, to you know, kind of bring these people from the darkness and to pull them back into the light. That, that was basically the point of the conversation. And basically the way I posed the question to my friend was, you know, what do you think? Like, what do you think of these people? And I always remember what he said. So basically what he said was, I don't think about these people at all. In response to which I was totally shocked because I was thinking about the words of St. Paul. You know, aren't we called to be, you know, all things to all men? But the way he explained the point to me was basically to say this. He said, you know, Eric, every single day, the Lord calls me to do very few things carefully and well. And in order for me to even recognize what those things are, never mind actually do those things carefully and well, I need to learn to say no. Certainly no to overt forms of evil, hopefully that goes without saying, but also no to all sorts of lesser goods, no to all sorts of competing goods. Again, to recognize the thing that God wants me to do and to actually do that thing carefully and well. So yeah, I don't think about these people at all. Now on the face of it, that particular principle might seem to be kind of scandalous, if not completely incorrect. But if you take a moment now to kind of think about it and indeed pray into it, perhaps you might realize that it's not just correct, but in fact, it applies to everyone. And so regardless of whether or not you're a priest or a professor religious, you got to realize that we're all called to say no to all sorts of competing goods. Because I think a lot of us, we tend to reduce Christianity to the great no, you know, the great no to the human project. And so from that perspective, the whole idea is that as long as I don't, you know, lie, cheat or steal or rob banks or commit sexual sin or kill people, uh, I'm good. God is pleased. I'm living out the fullness of discipleship. I'm living the fullness of the Christian vocation. But when you say it out loud and you hear it out loud, it sounds kind of crazy, if not completely stupid, because that's not the fullness of the Christian thing. It's never no full stop. It is always, every single time, no in favor of a greater yes. So certainly no, again, to all sorts of overt forms of evil. No to worry, no to fear, no to attachment, no to pride, ego, and selfish ambition. But it's for a purpose, right? So again, no in favor of a greater yes. No to all these things such that my mind might be clear, such that my heart might be free, such that I might be able to realize God's particular dreams and purposes for my life. And what are those dreams? What are those purposes? That I might become fully human and therefore fully alive. And may God bless you all.